Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. It's me, Sarah Sincher, your beloved host. And the last comic book that I read was the Vision and Scarlet Witch series. I was writing yet another article about Scarlet Witch. Longtime listeners and readers and Twitter followers know that I tweet about her almost as much as I tweet about Jean Grey. And <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's totally what WandaVision took its inspiration from, from what I can tell. But that was the last comic I read and it still holds up. I've read it probably like seven. 700 times since I was a kid because I remember getting quarter bin Vision and Scarlet Witch issues. So I read it out of order severely as a child and then grew up to read it multiple times in its complete format. And it is so weird. And I hope that the show totally recognizes how weird and tragic that comic is. From what I hear, people are really into the show and they think it's really a great representation of exactly that comic, as you said. The comic I read most recently was actually a throwback. I read the Demon Bear Saga from yeah. the New Mutants. So issues 18 through 20. It was so fun. And this is like from 1983 or around then. But I love it. I mean, there's like a little less Danny than I would like because yeah. Danny's the coolest. But the art is so good and creepy. And there are these really cool full page spreads with the bear. But then like something cool is happening like in the negative space of the bear. Yeah. Ooh, I just really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, Claremont, I try, I try to hate you and I just can't. I know you can't because all of the women that he writes are gay. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the artist is Bill Sankiewicz and That's the person right. who did the colors was Glennis Oliver. So also, if anybody knows where Glennis Oliver is, we would love to interview her. Oh my she God. Yes, was please. like the colorist for the X-Men for years and years and years. So... Today we have a question from Thomas via email. Hello, lovely bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, lovely bitches, Thomas. <laughs> yes, vice versa, Thomas, you lovely bitch. My partner and I are big fans of the pod. Oh, stop it. And love hearing your opinions and exploring comics from different perspectives. Aw, thank you so much. We also enjoy that, obviously. I was wondering if y'all have read and had any opinions on Leah Williams' current run on X Factor. I'm still new to picking up comics, but this seems like the gayest thing I've ever seen from one of the big two. And I'm just very happy every month to read all about the self-proclaimed disasters at the Boneyard. Thank you so much for the pod. It's helped me so much during this eternal quarantine. Aw, Hey, Thomas, thanks for writing. And we're so glad that the podcast has been helpful. It's helpful for us, for sure. I mean, for me, <laughs> I'd be losing my mind if I didn't have the podcast to sort of bring me back to like, let's talk about one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah, I would say that talking into a microphone alone in my room is probably 90% of my social interaction. So... <laughs> 
That or like your pets. Oh, yeah. Well, if pets count, then that just throws the whole scale off. But, <laughs> well, most of the time it's pets and talking into a microphone alone in my room. So, yeah. Why not both? Yeah. Why not go. both? Why not both, bitches? <laughs> Lovely bitches. (laughs) Lovely bitches. (laughs) The the lovely bitches. If we write a book, the lovely bitches. Oh, my God. Done. Where is our book deal? Oh. Right here. Pending. Pending. It's in my pending pile. (laughs) Um, Amazing. So thank you so much for this question. X Factor is like... Yes. We actually released earlier this year, episode 80, which is called Queer Shit and Feminist Shit. And it is... X-Factor's on our list of queer comics. So, yes, we do agree with you. Is it the gayest? I don't know. That's a pretty hard scale. I mean, what Vida Ayala is doing with the New Mutants is pretty gay. What's happening over in Excalibur is pretty gay. Gay, gay queer, gay queer trans over at uh, New Mutants in particular. It's like, yes, but it's definitely among... Like, if gayest is, like, a title, I don't know if I can give it that. But if gayest is, like, a band, yes, it's in there. (laughs) (laughs) You broke it down in a way that I think is fitting. I was just going to say, yes, it is absolutely the gayest (laughs) thing I've ever read. I do say that about almost everything I just read, though. I'll read something and then I'm just like, that was pretty homo. Yeah, but I I think it's because you and I think of superlatives in like the band sense. There's a whole strata of gayest that I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah weird insight into my brain. (laughs) I'm assuming you wanted that, Thomas. I'm assuming you were like, tell me about why or why not you think this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. Losing it. So yes, X Factor. Amazing. So for those of you who haven't been reading it, the basic premise is that North Star, his twin sister, Aurora, is missing. North Star wants to have her resurrected. So put a little asterisk next to that. And I'll come back to it so that she can rejoin him on Krakoa. In Krakoa, where the mutant sort of homeland, it's an all mutants all the time party. If you've seen a bunch of stuff about the Hellfire Gala, haha, that's on Krakoa. Gala. What did I say? Oh, I just said Gala because it's gay. Apparently, that's all I needed to hear. I'm just helping, you know, like (laughs) just trying to set the scene for people. Yes, it is the gala, but gala. Let's be honest. We've seen the Rachel Summers costume design for that. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, we'll get to that later, but. Oh my gosh. That's. I think about that a lot. Like when I'm falling asleep, I just think about that outfit and I'm like, what? Um, I know. Too cute. So Krakoa, this is where the mutants are right now. If you're not reading in the big sort of huge Jonathan Hickman, I think it's called House of X. Is that right, Sarah? Mm Mm-hmm. House of X, Powers of X. Oh, Hoxpox, right. The good old Hoxpox. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what Hoxpox stands for. (laughs) Okay, I am not deep in the mutants, just FYI to everyone. I flirt with the mutants. I'm not married to the mutants. Let's put it that way. I am married. Sarah is in a long-term relationship with all of the mutants. I am gay married to 
the mutants. Uh, so, yes, right now, everybody's on Krakoa. Now mutants have the ability to resurrect mutants who've been killed in the past. And they come back. They are repowered. Okay, that's an important premise to understand for X-Factor. We enter X-Factor through the lens of Northstar looking to resurrect his sister Aurora. The Council of Five is like, dude, we don't know if she's dead. She's just missing. And he's like, mm, my sister is dead and I know it. And they're like, mm shrug so he has to then go find proof that she is in fact dead pretty macabre not gonna lie and along the way he sort of picks up a merry team of comrades in arms (laughs) and like it's not clear how many of them he actually likes (laughs) because north star is so salty in this i think he likes rachel because rachel's like the other basically the other gay parent of the team right you'll see them like both standing there with their arms crossed yeah totally like just disappointed just a lot of being like love it it's adorable it's so fun so as north star puts this team together as sarah mentioned we've got rachel gray also called rachel summers we've got polaris lorna who is magneto's kid if you don't know her then we have Akihiro, who is often called by another name. I'm just going to take a little moment here to discuss that we actually recorded this episode once before, and we used the name that is commonly used for Akihiro, but we have since learned that, in fact, that name is a slur. So we will not be using it. Akihiro, if you aren't familiar with this name, is actually Wolverine's son. He's Japanese and mutant and Canadian and former villain and very, very sexy and bisexual. So all good things for the most part. Obviously, his former name was deeply problematic. So we'll be calling him Akihiro. We're going to really work on that being the truth for us going forward. I know we've had episodes where we talked about him in the past and we used that other name. We are deeply sorry to anyone who listened to that. That was our bad. And we're going to make sure to do better in the future. And that is why we are re-recording this. So that aside, another member of the team is Prodigy, who I adore. Prodigy, you would know from Young Avengers. He's also in the America Standalone by Gabby Rivera. He's kind of a lot of times on these teams. He's always teaming up with people because he's the best. Mm -hmm. We also have iBoy, who I don't know very well, but I just completely fell in love with iBoy in this run. Mm -hmm. Like, he's so endearing and sweet and awkward, and I just, I love every second of it. I think I read about him in Generation X, the um, more recent Generation X that Jubilee led, but I'm not 100%. I read a whole bunch of X-Men comics really fast right around the same time, so it could have been in any of them, but uh, I liked him before. I like him. I think he's a cool character. He's a pretty sweet kid. I like to see him because he's just so cheerful, and he wants to, like, be buds. And I'm personally always huge fans of the mutants who have somewhat or entirely grotesque transformations. Mm -hmm. I guess I just feel very uh, connected to the sort of body dysmorphia and or gender dysphoria or just straight up body dysphoria that those characters experience. And I'm like, hey, I know that feeling. (laughs) I recognize this well. I also felt grotesque when I reached puberty. And, you know, since then, as I figured out my transness. 
So I think that's a really fun character. So yes, you're right. I mean, Akihiro is bisexual. Prodigy is bisexual. Rachel is certainly coded queer. And as far as we're concerned, queer as the day is long. Rachel. North Star. Oh, Rachel Gay. Who did I say? Oh, no, Rachel. no. Uh, I was just helping. Rachel Gay! <laughs> Rachel Gay! Oh, fuck. I'm just helping. Now I want to re-record the whole episode only calling her Rachel Gay. Like, that is... Oh, I could just bawl my eyes out. That's so funny. Yeah, that's part of why I always still... I mean, I think now she's going by Rachel Summers again. I'm just going to assume that that's the character's choice and respect it. But also, I'm just like, dang, Rachel Gray was really cool. Because what could possibly be more awesome than just being like, I'm mad at my dad. Men are annoying. I'm going to just go by my mom's last name. I'm Rachel Gray. Like, that's so cool. That's already so queer. And isn't there like a theory that actually Rachel is the child of Phoenix and Jean? Mm-hmm. I like that one. I like that theory. I feel like that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. And also like people go by multiple names. I certainly do. So like, why not? Throw it in the mix. Unless I hear her, you know, or experience her being like, do not call me Rachel Gray. I'm going to assume she's she's fluid with it. Because why not? Everybody mm-hmm. assumes everything's static. I'm going to assume everything's fluid. That's that's my job. You couldn't see me, but I did the hands that Alex does from uh, Schitt's Creek. I was like, that's my job. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, North Star is clearly gay. He's one of the big gay characters of Marvel. He is married to the lovely Kyle, who is a human and adorable and lovely. Big fan. So, yeah, I mean, it's a stacked cast of queer coding and actually out and proud. And I think that those two things together always make for a more rich reading. If you're going to have a lot of queer coding, there needs to be some explicit queerness. Otherwise, it can feel like queer baiting, truly. And this none of this resonates that way for me. And something you said, Sarah, that stood out to you is there's not a ton of romance in this, despite the fact that it's overtly queer. And I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that a little. Oh, I sure do. I think that that's the best, right? Because that's such a big part of our lives. In fact, I constantly meet queer people that I do not date. <laughs> like in a lot of movies <laughs> and comics, you know, it's like, oh, well, well there's, they a queer, met. there's a queer. There's the two of them. They both have a complete immediate attraction and now they're married. It's cool. But in life, if you're a queer, you meet like a bunch of other queer people. <laughs> Like, not just, like, one or two, you know, at most. Like, one and then the one who's just your bestie, like, in Carol or whatever. (laughs) We dated for a while, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, yeah, that's not what life is like. You meet a lot of queer people. And I like that this is kind of a team of people who, yeah, you can see, like, maybe a little bit of mild flirts or something. There's definitely, like a little bit but yeah it's just kind of nice to read a bunch of really really queer characters interacting with each other in a way that isn't explicitly romantic because that is bizarrely rare right (laughs) like we don't see it (laughs) yeah and I I think you know you see Akihiro flirting with a lot of people who aren't in yeah Aurora once she's resurrected but then also like This guy who might have a clue, this person who might, and you know, it's part of his powers that he has that like pheromone manipulation that both Mm -hmm. like tells him when someone's attracted to him, but also makes them more prone to like be attracted to him and like be overt about it. So that's always like, I don't know. I love that. I think that's hysterical. I have always enjoyed Akihiro's 
appearances, even when they were more along the lines of queer baiting. I just kind of ignored that they were. And was like, ah, this is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I just like him. That's all I can say. I just think he's irresistible. I like him too. I like him in yes, this a lot. He's, he's so comfortable with who he is in this, which is mm-hmm. nice. I do feel like in the history of his appearances in the comics, he frequently, you know, he talks a big game. He's got a lot of bombast, but he's never seemed like he was happy or comfortable. And you know, people are not happy that he's on Krakoa. They they don't want him on the X Factor team. And he's like, hey. I'm a former villain. This is the whole thing. Like, we're supposed to be allowed to change here. And I am changing. I don't want to be a villain anymore. And they're all kind of like, except Prodigy, who is like, you would think they'd pit them against each other because that's what you do when there's two bisexual men, two queer women, two whatever, except in the hands of Leah Williams. Hallelujah. Prodigy thinks Akihiro's funny. I like that. I like that he's just like, (laughs) you're funny. But they also aren't flirting. They're not like trying to hook up, at least in the issues I've read. Right. And I I just really like it. It's just a, it feels like a bunch of people who have a common goal, who are all queer. And that's it. Like they don't have to be dating. They don't have to all really like each other. Right. Like North Star. Oh my God. There's this brilliant panel or series of panels where Akihiro sees North Star's husband, Kyle, in the hallway. And he's like, oh, hey, Kyle. And like leans against the wall in like, you know, that Akihiro way. And <laughs> North Star like super speeds in and is like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's just so funny. And it doesn't, there's no conflict beyond that. Akihiro's like, all right, whatever, dude. Uh, but it's just like a really cute moment of like, yeah, you're not going to leave your partner like, to the to the whims of this like <laughs> bisexual god, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Also, it's just like mm-mm, no, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. not here for it. And I <laughs> I like that for North Star. I was gonna say that I really love that North Star gets to be a jerk again. Um, there <laughs> was, was a really <laughs> there was a really long time where North Star was basically. I mean, in the beginning, he was kind of a jerk, but had a soft heart and all of that. And he was helpful to kids and stuff like he's been helpful a lot of times. But he always was like kind of standoffish, very judgy, very fast and just like, okay, get to the point, get to the point. Or I just don't want to talk to you. Just kind of always very loudly stating his boundaries. And that, like, speedster impatience, right? When you think about, like, if, yeah. if they can move that fast, like, how fast are they thinking? Like, what else is fast, you know? He exactly. has that, like, speedster kind of like, come on, come on, wrap it up, wrap it up, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> he only likes a few people, but he is so there for the people that he does accept responsibility for. And we see that definitely in this with him and Aurora, right? Like, he's just going to bat for her for sure. And I think that, yeah, there's something to be said because for a long time it was, like, him being, like, the model gay, right? And, like, that sucked. (laughs) Like, it was much cooler to see North Star. I mean, it's nice to see him, like, happy with Kyle, but it's also just, like, I want to see North Star's terrible attitude problem again because, like... There are people in the world that have terrible attitude problems. If you're talking about like a whole bunch of mutants that live on this, uh, that live in Krakoa, then you would think that one of them's going to have a bad attitude, right? Like, yeah. So, and also, I like that it's North Star. I just feel like having all kinds of representation is good. So I don't want him to have to be nice. He's just kind of going to tell you how it is. And I like that about him. That's like what makes him stand out always. 
I completely agree. What I like about North Star is like he's really comfortable just being annoyed with everyone. And he is annoyed with Akihiro because Akihiro's a little bit annoying and that has mm-hmm. to be okay. And the only people he seems to really like, as you said, is Rachel, his husband Kyle, and his sister Aurora. Pretty much everyone else, he's like, I don't know, you know? <laughs> like, I get it. I don't like everyone, you know? <laughs> and- yeah. I hate the the pressure that, you know, being one of those canonically gay characters, you know, all caps, he had to carry this weight of, like, respectability and being a good gay, you know? Like, gay people have to be perfect in the representations we have because what if people think we're bad or we're sluts or we're whatever? And I like the way that both he and, and truly all the characters in X Factor are complex and who cares, right? Like they don't have to be model minorities. They don't have to be perfect. They can just be ridiculous and rude and fun and themselves. And that's really exciting. I also wanted to say, you know, the art in X Factor is just ridiculous. David Baldion just, oh my God, destroyed this in the best way. I love the art. And I know you're a big fan as well, Sarah. Yeah, I like the way that the expressions are played because I feel like all of these characters are highly expressive. So it's just nice to see somebody who kind of draws each character so differently and so uniquely because that adds so much to the book and the story that's being told, you know. Absolutely. And then Israel Silva is on the colors here. And again... I think the colors are some of the most distinct parts of this because they're so reflective of the characters themselves. So particularly thinking about Rachel and Polaris, the way their powers are manifested, they kind of have these auras about them where Rachel's is in the definitely in the red scales, maybe into the pinks a little bit. And Polaris is in like these sort of soft greens. But the colors are really distinct and they make you, they make me when I read them feel like I'm I'm right there and like I can see how their powers manifest. And that is to me always such an incredible sign of the integration between the writing, the art and the colors and the letters. They all come together so beautifully in X Factor and in ways that like I would call it queer, but you know, that's because I'll call most things queer, <laughs> but they're certainly very, very very beautiful. And something that we talked about in the, the first time we recorded this is, as Sarah was saying, it's so refreshing to see a queer narrative that isn't just about romance, in part because, hey, we have queer friendship. That's a real thing. But also because it leaves room for characters to be identities that maybe they don't know they are or haven't said out loud or that the creators haven't decided for them. So I could see certain characters on this team being asexual or aromantic. I could see people on this team being non-binary. I could see all kinds of different identities coming forward. Again, because there isn't a strict need to go and give everyone the perfect label. That said, if people have their labels, they're like really comfortable with it. There's a point where, <laughs> it makes me laugh so hard, where North Star's like, you know what, Akihiro, I don't know if you can come with me because, like, I don't know if I can handle all your disaster bisexual energy and you contaminating everybody with that. And Akihiro's like, oh, don't worry about it. As long as you have a distinguished by like, prodigy, we'll just cancel each other out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. It is so funny. There's a lot of good humor in this. I have to talk about Rachel 
because Please. Rachel is my very favorite and she's very good in this. And I haven't read a ton of comics for a very long time where Rachel has been extremely good. So I am very glad to read this and to see my favorite character being written by somebody who at least seems to mostly get her vibe, right? Because she's a character that I think so many people are just like, oh, Jean Grey's daughter, like, a little bit on the emo side. Like, you know, you end up having all of these stories where she's kind of just not that emotionally developed and she doesn't show her strength very much. Or, like, she's in these, like, bizarre romantic partnerships, like, when she was with Nightcrawler and was gay. And it was just weird. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure some people probably ship them. But, like, what was that? To me, the vibes were so, so weird between those two. And there's been a lot of, like, really off stories, you know? Like, a bunch of times when she appeared and you were just like, I don't get it. I don't like this that much at all. So it's so nice to read this and to have... You know, she's adopted an amazing baby, <laughs> the Warwolf. <laughs> and that's so great. Oh, my great. God. And the, and, and the fact that Warwolf's name is Amazing Baby and no one calls them anything but Amazing Baby <laughs> destroys me. It's so cute. I'm like, that's a great name. <laughs> amazing Baby's like, wink, wink. <laughs> That's like, oh my God, it's so, so cute. And like, I love, I love that Rachel has a responsibility and a pet. I always loved Rachel so much because I feel like she goes through a bunch of trauma that the people around her can't really understand. And so she is suffering from PTSD in her early appearances and the people around her just don't really get it in a lot of ways because they're also at the point of like, you need to get over this shit because you're like causing problems. You have like way too much powers, you know, to be able to have these breakdowns. And, you know, a lot of stuff goes on with her after that. But it's so nice to see that she has kind of evened out. And now she has like this pet that she really <laughs> clearly just loves, right? Because you would never spend this much time with Amazing Baby if you did not love Amazing Baby. And I just think that, yeah, she just seems so comfortable with herself. And to me, that's something that's very nice to read because it's kind of reflective of like what my story was, was like going through a bunch of bad stuff in life. And then like later on having pets and being a cute lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> that is adorable. And yeah, I think Rachel is so nice in this. I really like how her characterization comes through, how she's allowed to be like, standoffish and she's allowed to be annoyed and like you said and tricky <laughs> whenever she tricks people oh she's God, like so oh yeah funny. give it i'll hand it over to forensics right away <laughs> <laughs> i also really like how her powers manifest in this oh my god they yeah. look so cool and she's so powerful i love oh, she's it so powerful oh it's just like what you can literally just look through all of time squeeze me mm -hmm. uh what and i Chrono love it. skimming I love it. That's yeah, so I cool. love the stuff that they've been doing with her. It's so interesting. And as I've said, it is truly just a drink of water in the middle of the desert, more or less, because like, there's just been a bunch of not great Rachel representation. So this is just like, oh, I feel like somebody else actually loves this character the same mm. way, you know, like, it's nice to be reading somebody who clearly loves all of these characters as much as I already do, you know? 
And that's that's exactly what I was going to say. It, you can just tell that this creative team with Leah Williams writing, like they love these characters and they want them to have interesting and challenging, but also like fun lives. And that is so clear, you know, and so queer. And, you know, the final piece I want to bring in is that the narrative is really powerful as a queer narrative, because what ends up happening is the people that we've been describing at length (laughs) all come together and form X Factor. But what X Factor ends up being is an investigation unit that helps people who are reporting missing or dead mutants, and they help them find proof of death so that they can be resurrected. And before North Star came forward saying, my sister, like, it's time to resurrect her. And the five were like, sorry, we don't have proof of death. There wasn't really any way for anyone to get help. And so now suddenly, using this very cool, great in the panel, magical-ish way of communication, people are allowed to, like, put forward claims. And so there's this point where you're in the boneyard, which we haven't even gotten into the boneyard at all, which is their their big home on Krakoa, that Polaris grows out of the ground in conversation with Krakoa. Mm-hmm. Come on. Oh, which my God. Cool. And very queer, very, like, nature queer, you know? I'm like, mm, oh, yeah. Nature queers. Gotta love them. And, you know, the hall, they have, like, a, almost an atrium, I guess I would say. And there's just, it's filled with these messages of people who are just looking for their their lost or dead loved ones. And A, it's so fun because who doesn't enjoy like a detective style story? Mm-hmm. There's yep. investigation, they're learning things, there's surprises, there's new danger around every corner. Oh, such a great format. And then B, I think that's a fundamentally a story about even within a marginalized group, people who are further marginalized, right? Yeah. Like North Star had the ability to go find his sister and find her body and get her resurrected. Not everyone who's calling in can do that, right? Like, mutant powers look like all kinds of things. You know, they're not all super speed and flight, you know? Yeah, being handsome and witty. Exactly, exactly. My so. curse. I'm <laughs> handsome and witty. Oh, and I Sarah. can do cool things. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so I think that it's gayest. Yeah, it's certainly up there in my book. And I think it's mm-hmm. it's absolute must reading. Again, like I said, I'm like not super into the mutant sphere. Honestly, just I've read a decent amount, but it's more that like I know how into it people who are really into the X-Men and mutants are. I love it. I love talking to X-Men fans because it's just like, what? It feels like we're always like talking hot shit about someone. We're like, and then this bitch did this. And you're like, no, she didn't. She did not. And he did what? And they did. Excuse me. And that is just really, really fun. You know, they've been around forever. They're delightful. But if you're new to the X-Men, I actually think X-Factor is a wonderful place to jump in, as is New Mutants, as is Excalibur. Yeah, you're going to have to suspend some disbelief. There are some things you're not going to know. But I, again, I hadn't read any of Hox Pox before reading both New Mutants and X-Factor. And for me, I was able to piece together what was happening pretty quickly. So I hope that's the case for you. I hope you'll give it a chance if you haven't. If you're a huge fan, oh my gosh, Thomas just served you up a delightful episode. If you have other questions about the mutants, X-Factor, New Mutants, anybody, X-Men, we don't care, please shoot us an email, hit us up on Twitter, send us a DM on Instagram. We take questions however you'll send them. Every now and then someone will text me. I'm like, all right, I'll put it in the pile. Mm-hmm. Um, because we we really do love talking about these characters. And again, Thomas, thank you. This is such a good question. And people keep asking us about Leah Williams. 
So this is your Leah Williams episode. <laughs> you can have more later, probably. We're, we're scheming. We're scheming, people. We're going to do everything we can. We'll find out. <laughs> you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. listeners you know there's one way that you can really support us that makes all the difference in the world you can join us over on patreon we're at patreon.com slash bitches on comics you can't search us on patreon you have to type the words out <laughs> you have to say bitches or you can't do it <laughs> um you can join us at any level starting at two dollars honestly we have a couple people who join us at one dollar do it do what feels right for you baby and you get all of the hours of bonus content we've backlogged and everything we release on a weekly basis. We have our intoxicated comics episodes. Those are when we get a little woo woo and talk about either an important comic book character or an important comic book event that we enjoy. We have our TV and movie reviews where we talk about a property we love and usually giggle a lot because we love weird things. And we have our comic reviews, among other things. And so we try to point out indie comics, old comics you might have missed, things that are fun, lighthearted. We're all about the positive content. Every now and then, you know, something might eke past. I had to read a comic I didn't like, and so I had to review it on, on Patreon. I'm sorry. But for the most part, we're pretty positive and excited. So again, please come join us for as little as $2. We offer all the same benefits to anyone at any tier, so help us at the level that feels right to you. We're at patreon.com slash bitchesoncomics. everybody this week's comic of the week is going to be one of my favorite favorite comics of the week which is what the fuck is the name of it i just totally spaced when i arrived at the castle when sorry i went to say we have always lived in the castle because that's the shirley jackson book that is like literally on the t-shirt that i'm wearing right now (laughs) 
when I arrived at the castle. Do you want to just take but, it again from the top so that Kate no, doesn't have to go No, I love this? those okay, mistakes. Okay. I love the mistakes that I make. I also think that it's something worth saying because I know for a fact that Emily Carroll read when I arrived at the castle before. Oh, for wait, sure. No, uh, we have always, always lived in the castle <laughs> before writing when I arrived, I arrived at the, at the castle. castle. <laughs> I know for a fact, you know, like, I don't know, but I can guess 100% because it seems like she knows a lot about horror. I'm just going to say. And yeah. obviously, We Have Always Lived in the Castle is one of the best horror books of all time. So go ahead and read that. Come back, read when I Arrived at the Castle by Emily Carroll. So this comic <laughs> is about uh, vampires, I guess. <laughs> it's about the nature of storytelling and how stories work, I guess. It's about sexy stuff, kind of. It's about... It's about being attracted to someone you're not supposed to be attracted to. And then right. like, what do you do with that feeling and how does that change you? Queer as fuck. Yeah, extremely, extremely queer. Uh, and like kind of the thing that Emily Carroll plays with so often, which is monstrous things living underneath the surface of beauty so this woman is like very beautiful and lives alone in her own castle and all of that and uh she also is somebody who can change her form into being something that's much more monstrous than that <laughs> so <laughs> i've got chills it's so creepy i love it it's something that Emily Carroll does in almost all of her stories. Like you constantly are seeing this innocent veneer and then it there's a moment where the mask comes off and you're just like, oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that this was this kind of story. So I think that this was one of the best comics that I've read in recent years. It's my favorite by Emily Carroll. And I think that that's saying a lot because Emily Carroll is absolutely brilliant and does some of the best horror comics of the now like these days there's people who do just as good of work but there's nobody that does it better right so i think that it is just an essential comic for horror fans even though it is horror and not right i just realized i was monopolizing like the whole well, you should of, like, you should episode. i mean you've been thinking about this piece for as long as i i mean as long as it has been out you have been telling me about this piece or as long as we've known each other i don't know which came first <laughs> yeah yeah i think it is it's very lyrical in nature as well so the written word is very it's very particularly constructed to land on the page in a very particular way and that's not to say that every creator doesn't do that they do but there's something that Carol is trying to do that is is a little bit, it's a little bit more difficult to execute. So she is giving us sort of a narrative that tells us what's happening inside of the the person who is the I and when I arrived at the castle. <laughs> and yeah. it's really cool because she's she's sort of reflecting at least two of the natures of this character. So yeah, I, I am obsessed. It's also a black and white comic, except for red. Red is the only other color that appears. And Carol just utilizes it so deftly. It's just compelling. It's creepy. It's sexy. It's uh, gory, but gory in a way that you're like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. <laughs> it is How so How is all beautiful. that blood so beautiful? <laughs> yeah. And there's so much like that's kind of the thing is you say that the writing is lyrical and so is the art. Like there's this interesting way of combining words and story, as you were saying, where it's 
the visuals are playing out, but you get that like the word bubbles and things are placed in just such an artful way alongside everything. But also on top of that, there's all kinds of just bizarre experimental way of looking at things like there's scenes where she's looking through the keyhole right Mm. one page it's like one thing you look at the next page and she's looking at something totally different in that keyhole and it is horrifying I just feel like it would be really difficult even in almost any other medium like if if this story were a short story or if it were a movie I just don't think that it would convey the same things because the way that the art is just married to the writing through this is what makes it such a unique piece it's something where you know we're here not necessarily for the plot right because the plot is she comes she wants to take vengeance on this woman who all of these people have been vanishing and she knows that it's her. She's essentially like the Elizabeth Bathory or like, you know, Countess Nadine from Vampiros Lesbos or any number of other, you know, like lesbian vampire trope type characters. And she isn't necessarily romanced by her, right? Like that really isn't what happens. They have like a sexually charged dynamic, but it's that way naturally. Like it doesn't yes. have one of them pursuing the other by any Vampire's stretch of the imagination. Vampire's not trying to make her want her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no seduction process. It's literally somebody taking off their skin and being like, do you like me this way? It's like she seduces herself, you know, by like a hundred percent being yeah. there and seeing this person who is so free. And they're so reflective of each other, mm-hmm. right? Like that's something too that a hundred percent Emily Carroll has played with many times in her stories, but it is too profound effect here for sure. And and I think what's really brilliant too is is there's these mixing of artistic styles where at some points it almost looks like collage. Like Carol has brought together so many different perspectives and line drawings and I'm looking at a page where there's a black and white checkered path, but at the edges of the path, it turns into like dripping, like it could be paint, but it could be blood, could be, you know, and then there's like in the background, there's a a statue that's in all white, but then the door frames and the window frames are all just in like these very delicate red lines. And, you know, before we started recording, we were like, oh, so much of what this this comic is, has to be in the comic. It's on the page. It's something you have to see with your own eyes. So we wanted to talk about it, but like there's no way we can transport you into the experience of reading when I arrived at the castle. You just like have to do it. Even if you don't like horror, especially if you do like horror, if you like queer stuff, like I'm so glad that I read this. It is such a beautiful work that I am going to be thinking about and rereading for years to come. And I think also it's important to note that there is no conclusion between these two. Like, it doesn't build up to a fight scene or something like that. That's not what happens. And instead, it's more like once the layers of skin start to come off, it reveals more and more. And then it starts to be put into a larger context of other stories. And there's doorways that lead to different stories. And it is just, to me... As you said, just beautiful. I'll read it again and again. It's amazing. I love everything about this comic. It is gorgeous. I very seldom am like, this one you need to read in like your hands. (laughs) But it's so fun to flip through. And the look of it is gorgeous. To me, there's nothing that is a downside to this comic. I think that everything about it is good. I love that it's inconclusive. I love the fact that it doesn't give me what I want, you know, because you you want there to be these like resolutions. And I think that the 
willful lack of resolution is something that doesn't always fit everybody's style or what people want or need out of stories. But for me, whenever I see a story that so expertly refuses to resolve something because there is no resolution to it in real life at all, (laughs) like there's no resolution to stories within stories within stories, right? Like to me, it was just more about opening doors in a way. And so I think that all of that made this one of the more profound comics of the year that it was Mm. released. And I will, as you said, just continue to read it again and again. But all of Carol's work is incredible. So definitely pick up all of it. She's a genius. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I look forward to reading more of her work in the future. And maybe we can have her on the pod sometime. That'd be cool. Oh. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is dot. T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And do you remember there's no I'm bitch? If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.